1: Shell news out of the Premier League offices as they're finally ready to get serious about spending just as soon as they rubber stamp United's new owners. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the Go Blackman Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Now I want to be clear because I know there's a lot of confusion about this. People are saying you can't have the same owners owning two European competition clubs, right? That's a UEFA rule. And the Qataris already own PSG. And it's really important that we clarify this, because this is how confusion exists. It is the Qatari International Fund Association that owns PSG. It is the International Fund Association of Qatar, Qatar that will own United. Very important distinction, right? No way that the two could possibly be interrelated. You can tell just by the name. Totally different. The words are in different order. They're liter- The words are literally in a different order. So it has to be different ownership group. So you have that. Uh, we are going to talk about the Manchester city thing. I will tell you that we did a long podcast with Tim and Paul and myself digging into the, the ethics of punishing city and the, the ethics of money in the league and where the league is going and what it means for Arsenal. And w- would we take the points deduction or would we want to win it without that? We did a whole thing over on Patreon. So if you want a really deep dive, you can get it over there. Clive and I today are going to cover that. We're also going to cover United hilariously dropping points to leads at home. um, and we will also cover United's potential new ownership, although briefly. And then we'll look a little bit at recovering from the Everton loss, the Brentford game on Saturday, uh, maybe some injury news and things like that. So a, a nice Thursday podcast for you. I, I got to tell you, we have so much exciting stuff coming up. We have three live events between now and the end of the season that I can't wait to to give you details on. So I know a lot of people have, have been asking, are you going to have an event near us? You know, Are you going to have another one coming up? You know, Obviously, we, we can only go so far afield with each one. We're going to try to spread out to new locations, but we do have two continents covered uh, with the three events we'll be announcing. So I'm excited to announce that. We're going to be raising money again, and that's going to be coming up like it always does in April, and we're going to have some really exciting news around that. We're going to have some incredible giveaways, uh, as we did last time, and auction items as well. But uh, these funds, as it turns out, are going to help um, people who have been displaced from Syria, and that was always in the plan, but obviously that is so much more serious now with what's happening in Turkey and Syria. And of course, people in Turkey need the help as well. I think it's fair to say Syria is a war-torn country. You know, this is a blow that they, they couldn't take. They'd already taken so many blows and there are already so many displaced and it's going to specifically help children and specifically related to the Arsenal Foundation. I couldn't be more proud of the work that we get to do with them. And I cannot wait to uh, raise money because this community does a lot of things brilliantly. I can honestly say I've been blown away more than anything by the way this community comes together to raise money for a good cause. So I'm really, really looking forward to doing that. And here with me now that my long preamble is done is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC Hello, Clive.
2: Hello, hello. How you doing?
1: Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. The coffee's starting to kick in. It's good. I've spent the last two days um, not being well, and I was like, what on earth do I have? And uh, finally figured out what I had. They they tell me I had a norovirus uh, you may know this by other names. There are fun, colorful names. The toilet virus, uh, you know, is is one in particular that you might like. Um, but there's a lot there's a lot of names for it. And I can tell you <clears throat> that I have I have been exploring the bathrooms of my house uh, in a variety of ways over the last 48 hours. So I apologize, to patrons, who are expecting a rewatch video of the Everton game. But let's be honest, the Norovirus spared you of that uh, indignity. Clive, let's dive right into it because I haven't had a chance to talk to you about this yet on Mike, and that is the allegations against Manchester City. As I said, we did a full pod on all the angles of it. I, I kind of want to get to the arsenal of it in a minute. But I, I'm kind of curious about this. The more the mood music around this amps up, the more I'm starting to lose my cynicism that uh, it'll be a slap on the wrist, it won't be anything. And I'm starting to think it may be something. Are Manchester City done? could the premier league plant such a flag with this case to keep the uk government off their back because uk government are looking to put an independent regulator they don't want that could this be a scenario where there is you know it's funny in um in american college sports there was something called the death sentence terrible name but that's what they called it where basically they took a collegiate sports program and banned it from ever participating in competitive sports and that's happened only a couple times in history due to infractions that you know really reach the outer limits of what could possibly be uh, uh, imagined. We're into that territory here. And I'm not saying Manchester City will be banned from playing football, but could it be relegation? Could the ownership group leave? Could it be Pep Guardiola leaving at the end of the season? Could it be players fleeing the club? Are Manchester City, as we've known them, at least in the near term, potentially done?
2: I don't know if they're done, but I'll tell you what, this is a big, big power play to to take them on. And to go back as far as they have and to really bring these cases forward. And what this does, it, it, it it's a level of seriousness and depth that makes you think whatever happens, this is not going away fast. And one thing that does matter to these states is not so much the money they get fine. They can find that in their turnups, right? It's not a problem for them. But it's the reputational damage around their brand they're trying to create. And that's what they've come into potentially if you depend what you you feel. They, they use football as a vehicle to improve reputations and to publicize reputations. And if you attack that very thing that they're in the sport for, that's damaging. For example, when Pep first came into Man City, we all knew where he was going after Bayern Munich. We all knew, right? So if you roll back now and say, okay, Pep's at Bayern Munich looking for his next club. Do you think he'd still go to City with this hanging over? Probably not. Wouldn't do it, would you? So straight away, if there's a young player out there they were looking to buy, maybe a, <clears throat> Jude Bellingham, does, does he think, hmm, maybe that's not the best place to go? Maybe there's some instability coming. Reputational damage is significant, way more significant than the financial damage. But then there is the other aspect of the reputation of the Premier League. And, of course, by doing this, they protect that to a point. And now you're absolutely right about the regulation point. There are so many strands to this. Football has become incredibly complicated, you know? Mm. And when it becomes complicated like that, bringing it back to Arsenal slightly, what do you do? And then in some ways, you have to almost simplify what you're trying to attempt to do, simplify your strategy, and just focus on the things that matter, which is talent acquisition, running yourself in an appropriate way, making sure you have the right people on and off the pitch, making sure you connect to your fan base, the people that underpin you, making sure there's level of transparency and alignment there. And you almost simplify what you're doing. And if Arsenal keep doing that, what they do by default is position themselves for this complicated game that could reposition itself at any moment. I mean, this morning there's another, let's say, failed Super League attempt, but there's another Super League fishing attempt, shall we say, that's out there. <coughs> yeah. And mm-hmm. It's just a sign of where the game is going. It is ripe for change. It is ripe for progress because it does lack regulation. It does lack a framework. It's just a money pit that has a huge social reach around the world. And why wouldn't you want to be involved with that? There's no regulation around. So what's this space, mate? What's this space?
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's it's interesting, right? Because on the one hand, this has been a shockwave through the Premier League. And on the other hand, I've never seen something met with so much of an eye roll in some ways. It definitely smacks of the Casablanca, I'm shocked to find gambling in this establishment sort of thing, right? <laughs> um, but it's not that they were running afoul of the rules. It's that they were defrauding the rules. And there is a difference, right? No. It's one thing if you just say, yeah, you have spending rules. I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm going to break them. It's another thing if you're hiding payments and you know giving people sideways payments and and undisclosed payments and and doctoring the books and things like that. Then you get almost into a level of criminality. And you know I I think ultimately <clears throat> for any league to exist, whether whether teams follow the rules or not, they have to agree what the rules are. Um, that doesn't even seem to exist in the Premier League. the The interesting thing here, ironically, from the sort of sports washing and good feeling side of it, is you could make an argument i mean this is why it's really hard in this day and age for any reputational damage to stick the premier league could send city down and it could be the best thing that happens to their ownership group right because they could do 5 pound season tickets and they could do kids days at the etihad and they could fill up the ground with local fans and they could they could try to you know acquire a few more homegrown manchester based academy lads right and they can they could do do all this um stuff to engender good local feeling. And by the time they come up, you could be seeing articles like in the wake of disrepute, Manchester City returned to core values and found their soul again. Right. You can see the articles already, right? And, yeah. and suddenly they're back in the Premier League as the team that proved you can do it the right way. Um, and we'll all be collectively rolling our eyes out of our eye sockets. But like the irony is like that 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 is a path you could absolutely see happening. I wonder yeah. what what I, I wonder what punishment they would accept, Clive. Because look, they've already secured. Um, I think Panic at the Disco, pa- Panic at the Premier League, is the name of the yeah. the uh, ba- barrister attorney yeah. that they've hired, Lord Panic at the Disco, um, uh, KSE or whatever, not KSK. K, KB, K, King's Bench, Kings.
2: I'm bench, not a lawyer expert, mate.
1: I don't know. I, I don't know. We, we don't have Kings <laughs> and queens over here, so I don't, I don't know the acronyms. We got different acronyms. I, I, I have to sign everything Esquire. Uh, I don't. I literally don't. Um, but but the moral of the story is like, they do seem poised to fight it, and I wonder what they would accept as a punishment. And Paul, it pains me to say it, had a great point on the Patreon pod. <clears throat> Maybe Manchester City's best outcome would be to take a points deduction this season. Because next season then is still safe, still open, they're not particularly favorite to beat champs this season, so they punt this season's title, which they're not really in line to necessarily win right now. They focus on the Champions League. The Premier League gets to look tough. Wow, a 10-point deduction. City still easily gets top four, and everybody gets what they want. The Premier League looks like they they really dug in and, and, and gave a steep punishment to City, and City just... You know, punts the back half of this season domestically, goes for big trophies on on the continent, and starts off next season as as you were. Could you see a scenario where both for City and for the Premier League that's the favorite outcome? And we will get to whether that would be the favorite outcome uh, for Arsenal and Arsenal supporters.
2: No, I don't think that's the most favorite outcome, and the reason why is there are nine clubs in the Premier League that want them relegated <laughs> straight away, and they don't care. Dog eat dog, they want them down. And then that's well, what the tends to the happen. The
1: three in the bottom three want them relegated, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They want them
2: relegated because they only care about their business models, I'm afraid. And I, and one thing that does concern me is the siege mentality that could appear at City. They know that Arsenal and Liverpool have been writing about them for ages to various parties. And so they, so they know that. I, I don't see it happening. Your point about reputational repairing is a, is a really good one. Because we've seen this in other sports and other countries, right? So. I like my rugby. We've seen Saracens go down for breaking the waist cap. They're back up now, top of league, flying. No problem. You know, um, you've actually seen it happen to them twice. Rangers in Scotland, another team that I sort of follow, they went down right to the bottom of the Scottish structure. The game struggled. Celtic mm-hmm. took all the trophies. Rangers come back up, won a league title. They're back in the room. They're back in the conversation again. Not quite as good as Celtic, but they're, they're back in the conversation again. You can recover. You can recover. Do City want to take the medicine this year, next year, year after, or do they want to protect their reputation? I am not sure which way it's going to go. But by putting a hundred plus charges out there, they're they're laying the Premier League is laying out the land, saying we are prepared to go through this with you, and you have to carry that cloud over your reputation over your brand. And you may yep. not be able to get the next brightest major or the next brightest player. Or do we say, I always remember a line Tim said to me about the news cycle, how it changes so quickly, or do we quickly forget and we carry on? You know, and um a year a year or so ago Chelsea's reputation was in the mud. Now they're buying every player. No one cares about the previous ownership that laid the base for them to be the club they are today. No one cares. No one talks about it. They're buying all the best young players competing with Arsenal. And and that's it. We forget very quickly. You know, so, but that's for our, the other execs in the Premier League are not going to forget. Because they have had financial challenges, forced to pay players more, forced to buy players at a higher rate because the game has been distorted by people with funds, which they've been hiding, you know? So Mm -hmm. allegedly, Elliot. So yeah, yeah, I think um, it's going to be an interesting one to watch and it'll be done in the mahogany rooms, mate, what we've done on grass.
1: Yeah, and I mean, while cities certainly have the resources to what we call in an American legal system, paper the Premier League to death, essentially meaning just tie them up in litigation forever. I don't know that that works in this scenario because the Premier League runs the Premier League They have a a great degree of latitude and autonomy over how they run their league. They have the sort of Damocles hanging over them with the independent regulator from the UK government. Something's got to give here. And the Premier League may even say to City, look, if you don't let us punish you, we're going to have a government regulator over us. Would you prefer that? Would you prefer the government regulating our league or would you prefer us slapping you on the wrist, even if it's a relegation? I mean, hell, you could probably spin a season in the championship as a hell of a lot of fun for your fans getting back to your roots, huh? And then, you know, back <laughs> you up said to come. <laughs> um, I did say it um, and I'm proud I said it and I'm happy I said it. But like, it, it is it is an interesting situation where I, I actually think there's a reason for City to play ball here, uh, even if that's not their initial posture. I'm sure there are people that will cry hypocrisy that'll say, why now? Why city? It's going on other places. It's gone on with other clubs. The fact that they want to spend and and back their club, how is it different from others? I'm not really interested in that aspect of the debate. We did get into it in a big way on the Patreon side, but I think it's it's one that, there isn't really an end point to that conversation. It's right on some levels. It's wrong on others. Ultimately for me, it boils down to you got to punish someone eventually for something.
2: Right. <laughs> there's got so, to be a line, you know, isn't it? There's got there to, be to be a, a line,
1: line This far and no farther.
2: Yeah. yeah. There's got to be a line, you know, and you know, there are clubs, all these, there's, there's money in football. When there's money, there's, there's corruption, right? And when we're, you know, we're sitting there hoping that our own football club is perfect, but you know, there are clubs out there, for example, that do things at youth level to coerce parents and things like that, give parents jobs and get a stunning youth player in. Things happen, but that's almost accepted, you know? And it, but, but there's a line. When you start to falsify accounts, and that can be proven, you say, mm. hold on a minute here. When you look at city sponsorship deals, are they fair value? Well, we know Manchester City. I've grown up with them. To see them have more revenue than Real Madrid, hmm, hold on here. How how organic is this? You know, let's not. You know, if it looks, it looks, it looks dodgy. It looks, it looks strange, isn't it? It looks strange. If you go to a Man City FA Cup semi final, they can't fill their end. They let they got more revenue than Real Madrid. Uh, it doesn't add up, right? It, it doesn't add up, and I just think. Maybe it's time to pull the covers away and say, hold on, let's get this back to some form of uh, normalcy until someone else comes along and tells us this is what normal looks like. so uh, that's yeah. the worry.
1: And let's be honest, too, like from a global brand standpoint, which is definitely the thing fans care about and the thing that football is meant to be about global branding. Um Manchester City still aren't a global brand for the Premier League, really. I, I'm not saying they haven't enlarged the Premier League through the influx of talent and the elevation of the league. They certainly have. But, like, if you're going to punish a club, punishing that club probably doesn't, you know, if you set them down, for example, a Premier League without City it is still going to thrive in a way that it may not without an Arsenal or a United or a Liverpool, right? Well, so we, we say this, a little bit different in that respect.
2: They're, they're, it's a little bit different, but... It's the concept of new money, right? Whenever I think about City, I, I almost have put Chelsea with them. They're the new mm. money that's come in the last twenty years, yeah, and they've changed the game. They've changed the game for everybody, and and we don't know the rule break. Obviously, we don't know. We know more about where the money come from Chelsea, and that's 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 stories played out. And Man City, we we're, we're learning things. They've changed the game, and there are people that didn't want the game changed this way, and they've suffered. There are teams that have been chasing the. The Golden Goose of the Premier League, and potentially nearly gone out of business because they've changed the game they've made the game different, and it, it's made the game expand to such a level that we're in danger of eating itself you know and um and that's the worry, so who's going to slow this down? you know it didn't seem to be slowing down. you know the Premier League spent over seven hundred million in January in the transfer window and that's and that's up you know it's just everything's going north it's going up and up and up, you know players who've had twenty six Premier League games, we can't even buy them for £75 million because the team we're trying to buy them from has no need to sell them because they have so much money. 26 league games, £75 million for a centre midfielder. That's a lot of money. That's your Champions League money gone in one player. right? So there has to be some form of calming down, please. Otherwise, there will not be nothing for any of us to watch. Nothing at all.
1: The irony of City is that the one thing they did do that you have to credit them for, I guess, is they're smarter spenders. Like, United are worse spenders. Chelsea are worse spenders, right? Um, You know, for a while, Arsenal were arguably worse spenders. Thankfully, we've corrected that. Um, So the irony of all this is, City have probably spent better and been smarter in some ways now. It's easy to spend better if half of the transfer fee is hidden in a payment somewhere that you're not disclosing and shit like that. So, yeah. you know, that, that may have an impact on it. I don't want to stay on this topic in this way for too much longer, but what I do want to do, and by the way, a few minutes back, there was a phenomenal Elliot norovirus moment for YouTube watchers. I don't recommend it. Stay on the podcasting app. You don't want to see it. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I'm not editing it out. It's just staying out there because, you know, hashtag lazy life. Um, so it comes to the the, the arsenal of it and I think this is where there's been interesting debates, maybe idle debates, maybe not. What do we Arsenal supporters want this season? And I really look at this in two, in two buckets. Bucket one is it's just a distraction for city. And I want you to weigh in on these two buckets independently, if you don't mind, or talk about whatever you want. You know how we do it. Um, Bucket one distraction for city. It, Gives them just one more reason. Players are on the phone with their agents. What's the deal here? Can I get out of here? Pep's thinking, you know, my integrity's been maligned, impugned, uh, disrespected. I, I need to I need to get out of here for my, you know, for the sake of my integrity and reputation. So distraction is bucket one. Bucket two is, do we want a points deduction for City? And I, I'm not asking the universe of Arsenal fans. We cannot speak for everyone. We can only speak for ourselves. So you, Clive Palmer, would you want a points deduction for City? Those are the two buckets. Do you see a distraction angle for City? And would you take and be excited about a points deduction for City?
2: Okay, I think it could be option three as well. Will City develop a siege mentality? You know, and uh, sure. go the other uh, way? That's,
1: that's, you know what that is? It's a, little, it's a little place in bucket one. Like a okay. little a little mini bucket in bucket one that floats <laughs> okay. around in bucket An one.
2: An addendum. Okay, I got it, I got it. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I don't want to see them get a points deduction this season. Because we've spent, we've waited 18, 19 years to get to this spot. And what we're all seeing and feeling at the moment, although we're all nervous about where this is going to end, <laughs> how it's going to end, we're excited at the same time. And we've earned this on paper, on grass, statistically. This is looking very, very good. The age of everybody in the club is quite young. They're still learning in the development room. There's a chance here to grow beyond this. And to really sustain at the highest level of the game, so I want that to be a, a nice green path. I don't want an asterisk anywhere near this work that's been put into the club. I don't want that. So, uh, but if we got two games to go and we're like five points back, I'd say, oh, hold on, about a ten point point deduction. <laughs> right? so, uh, I wouldn't care. <laughs> I wouldn't care so much, right? But I want it done the right way and f- the way we've done it. I, I like it without sounding egotistical. I think more than ever, the game might need Arsenal to do well. You know, and I know it, we just happen to be at the club at the top. Whether whether it was Leicester or whether it was Aston Villa or as another club, but we are the club that we care about the most. The game might not it might not be the worst thing for the game for Arsenal to keep going the way they're going. You know, I I, I really think we got to look at the moralities around Chelsea and City. Liverpool have just hit a wall due to the the pressure that City have put them under for four or five years. They've just hit a wall, right? And they'll come back again. Manchester United are returning and returning very quickly, you know? And so and Newcastle are just around the corner, building slowly. And so you look at Arsenal and of the the top teams at the moment that are ready to take the next step, we are well-positioned. And there isn't too many uh, flies on us. So it will be, mm. you know, maybe we're Arsenal people, so I would say that. But the game could do with someone other than City winning the league. Otherwise, we start to look like the Bundesliga. And, uh, and we don't yeah, really run.
1: And and I do think that, I mean, I don't think we're the Bundesliga. I think there's more parity in the Premier League in its own sort of way. Maybe not, m- maybe not, <laughs> I was going to say, maybe not at the very top, but then you are the Bundesliga. But um. Let me say a couple of things on this that I feel really strongly. Firstly, I do think it could be a distraction for City. They already look like they have a camp in trouble. It doesn't look like a happy a happy household. So I think it can impact them from that standpoint. I certainly understand why fans of like Liverpool would say, this stinks, we should have had more trophies, more titles. Yeah. Yeah. But to be fair, did anyone not know that at the time? That isn't new news. That isn't new news. You know, where would Arsenal be in terms of what we might have achieved in our history, if Roman never came into Chelsea. I can, I can think of some things that would have gone uh, a little differently.
2: Yeah. You know, absolutely.
1: maybe a Champions League even. Um, but like, so that that part of it, I don't think you can start rewriting history. And, and also, yes, would Liverpool love to be awarded those trophies? Of course they would. They'd love to be awarded them. It's never going to feel like it would have felt winning it. It just isn't. Because ultimately, it's about the glory. It's about the stories you tell your friends for years and your kids years later. If the if the Invincibles had just won the, the league but lost a game, would we still take it? Of course we'd take it. Would it feel the same? No, it wouldn't. The story of this season is going to feel special because the youngest squad in the league is going to beat the, the behemoth, the financially doped behemoth that's dominated the league for years, and Mikel Arteta's kids are going to come punch him in the chin, go toe-to-toe with him, and win a title, hopefully. And the way that's going to feel when we walk off the pitch on the last day of the season against Wolves, I think it is, At home? I think so. Is that right? Yep. That's going to feel unlike anything we've achieved. It's going to feel up there with the Invincibles because of the scale of what we've achieved, the scope of it. Will it feel the same if three weeks from now they announce a 10-point deduction to city? And, you know, United maybe get within five of us to make it nervy at one point, but we had two games in hand, and then really we run away with it. Like, it'll feel great. It'll absolutely feel great. And if you want to take that, no judgments. Absolutely no judgments. But the glory we could achieve this way will be epic. And it will last so much longer. And you will feel it so much stronger. And you won't have to fend it because football is so tribal, right? You won't have to fend off dismissals from rival fans saying, ah, you didn't really earn it. All they'll be able to do is point and say, wow, your kids took down Manchester City in their pump. That's incredible. Right after they spent all that money on the most devastating striker the league had seen in years. So I, I don't know. I mean, I want that. Now, Tim made a great point. Take the points deduction. If we win the title by more than the points deduction, we want it fair and square and no one can say anything. If we win it by less than the points deduction, we still get to win it. So you get to to win both ways. The problem with that is like we both know the points deduction probably takes City's eye off the Premier League and and then it's a slightly different discussion. Look, another person in Discord made a great point too, Clive, which is they said, hey, if Manchester City get the points deduction, there's still 18 other teams that didn't beat us to the title. United still didn't. Chelsea still didn't. Liverpool still didn't. I, I, you know uh, that other team from North London still didn't. I, I get the argument. I can't connect with it. And like I said, I am not judging anyone. Who said, give me the points deduction. Give me a forty points deduction right now. I want to go toe to toe with this city and beat them. I me, may feel differently too. if we lose the point, lose the title on goal difference on the last day. But right now, I want the glory of of punching the behemoth in the mouth and knocking them out with our kids and Mikel Arteta. You know.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, the feeling that I have right now is is the feeling of. We're doing well in the competition as we know it. We've sat there watched 95-plus points Liverpool and City dominate for four or five years. Liverpool were literally on course to win every trophy in the game last season. Not far away from it. These teams were a mile away from us. Part of the excitement is we're now right there at that level. And it's happened within a year. And so for the level to change because of things happen off the pitch... Would take, for me, it will take away a bit of the excitement that I feel, right? Maybe not, right? We'll see what happens, but that's how I feel in my in my gut right now. Hoping that we're going to win it the right way, but hey, look, that I can't. It, this is all about emotion, and the emotion is driven by not just what we're doing, but how we're doing it. And I and that is really key. The how you operate, the how you work, the how you connect, is everything for me. The what is a byproduct of how you operate. So. We're doing it right, the how and the what, and I want to continue.
1: Yeah, and I I couldn't agree more. So I think we should pivot here, right? Let's just pivot because there's a Manchester United angle to this story that we should address. We will laugh at them dropping points to Leeds, but uh, before we do that, I'd like to discuss them potentially having new ownership. United have never had an issue with spending. Like, they've spent. The issue with United is they've spent terribly. If you wanted to point to the reason United have not had success, it's not money, although I'm sure their fans would take issue with that assertion. I think the issue is just that they've been terribly run. And we've seen it with Chelsea. We've seen it with Arsenal at times. If you're terribly run, you're not going to be competitive. And the money is not the obstacle. I mean, look at two of the teams in the top six right now. I think both Brentford and Brighton are in the top six or top seven, depending on what the table is showing right now. It's because they're brilliantly run clubs. And when you're well run, you gain you gain an edge. And we know Liverpool had that edge for the last few seasons. We have it now. So how nervous are you about new United ownership from Qatar? I mean, we know that the kind of spending could go up even another level, but for me, the nervousness actually comes from might they just Figure things out now. If you look at PSG, I regard PSG's project largely as a failure. I mean, yeah, they've won some some league on titles, but they've also lost some, which is pretty unforgivable with their spending. They haven't won the Champions League. I don't think they've achieved nearly the success that that ownership group expected. And they've spent, you know, they make Manchester City spending look silly, paltry. So, how how worried do you think? How worried are you? And how worried do you think we should be about United um, falling under Qatari ownership? what what would that change in your view
2: yeah i think it's not the word ownership isn't really enough on this because united have had owners but their focus has been how can we turn this asset around and make profit so they've they've not had a focused ownership on doing things properly on and off the pitch, right? So they hid behind, Sir Alex for a while, and when he went, they were exposed, and they just threw a little bit of money in to keep the windows from rotting. And (laughs) some similarities here. They haven't focused themselves. They haven't looked at the changing landscape and readjusted. They just thought, we're Man United, we'll be fine. we got the biggest revenues. we got the biggest fan base around the world. We'll be fine. Man City said, Yeah, we're gonna build a we're gonna build a, a small city in Manchester. We're gonna create something else. We're gonna create a eleven twelve club global model. And we're going to challenge you. We're gonna try to take Wayne Rooney off of you. You know, this is all we're going to challenge you as a brand, we're gonna challenge you as an organization in the city of Manchester. We're gonna get the best manager in the world. And they just sat there thinking, Oh, we'll be all right, we're man United, we'll get Mourinho in. Unless you're focused properly, end to end with true alignment and common goals, you will make mistakes. And Manchester United off-pitch mistakes around talent recruitment have been obvious. You know, the money they're spending, the wages that they spend, it's just, it's just... Remember we speak about status anxiety? Remember we spoke about that? And, and basically, they're doing the same thing. They're trying to hold their status by by reaching out, lashing out, using their spending power. And they seem to have quite a bit of a cool dude manager in the moment that's not ruffled. And that's one thing they have changed. And he seems to focus their on pitch performance in a far better way. He's created belief within the club. Now, what you do on the pitch is everything. But when you think about, look off the pitch, look at their ground, it needs to be, it needs to be knocked down. You know, the pain, the training pitch needs to be knocked down. They've got so much to do and they are a distressed asset that has such huge upside for somebody to come in and get them and focus their ownership properly and commit to the infrastructure build and then improve their talent acquisition. They already have the reach. They already have the global name. And so for somebody with deep pockets, Elliot, it is prime. They can get the price right. It is prime. Mm -hmm. And they could really go bang if they did it right.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I see your point for sure. Um, I think there's always the belief that we always see the the boogeyman in these new ownership groups, right? That they're going to be smart, that they're going to pile money into the club, that they're going to do everything the right way. <clears throat> we don't know for sure. I mean, there were a lot of people that thought Everton would go bang, right, when they got Usman off in there. And they have gone bang yeah. in the implosion sense.
2: <laughs> so I use, I use the word talent acquisition. And the reason why I, I use that, because – there isn't an abundance of world-class elite talent that can understand the complexity of the game and drive a club the size of Manchester United to a better place. You know what did Newcastle do? They they went and got Dan Ashworth out of out of Brighton. They took him. You know it's about headhunting that talent. What we'll have also done recently by securing Edu? You know you have to realize when talent raises its head, you have to hold it, secure it, and it's all about. Having that alignment at the top level, talent acquisition—I use those words really carefully because that's what it's all about in executive rooms and on the pitch. And Manchester United have not had the right executives in their in their boardroom. They have not. The Edward Wood world—it's just a disaster. And so, that's what I need to do. It's not—you're absolutely right. It's not a given. You have to have the right people in the club.
1: Yes. Yes, I agree with that, Clive. And with that, I, I think that's enough. I think that's enough on the United ownership thing. We've, we've, we're have we halfway into this pod, really. Um, and we haven't talked about the football on the pitch. And I do want to do that. Uh, and we're going to stay with United briefly. And then we will shift gears to the Arsenal component of the Arsenal <laughs> Vision podcast. Um, but if we're shifting gears, we can always shift gears to how to make you healthier. And one way to make you healthier is with Athletic Greens AG One. You know, it's funny. Sometimes I do silly um, sponsorship readouts here, and sometimes I do very serious ones. And it sort of depends on the mood I'm in, and also the product we're talking about, and also just uh, the state of the universe around us. But I-, I will pause just for a second to say this is a product that I have used and really felt the benefits from. And at the end of the day, like I can read you the stuff that they have written in front of me right now, and I can tell you what you know I'm meant to say. I can also tell you that a friend of mine who is a doctor gave me the suggestion to try this before they were ever uh, involved with the pod for a few issues that I was having with gut health and with energy, you know, over-reliance on caffeine uh, via coffee and the extent to which that I've, I've really found it to be a benefit. So that's my recommendation. Now what they'll tell you here is it's 75 plus vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, right? That it's a whole, whole food source, really important, right? That gut health, sustained energy, immune system support, um, is all a part of it. That if you hate taking pills and vitamins, if you have a shelf full of gummies that you're paying a fortune for that are probably mostly sugar, this is the solution. You put a couple scoops in water, you drink the water down to start your day. I think it's going to deliver a lot of benefits. You can certainly try it and see how you feel. um, you know, it's keto-friendly, paleo-friendly, vegan-friendly, dairy-free-friendly, low in sugar. It costs about the, the price of an expensive cup of coffee uh, per day that you don't need to be taking. So let's do this now. It's a comprehensive solution. It's what you, if, it is, if, that, if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash vision. That's athleticgreens.com slash vision. Do it now, Clive!
2: Is that enough of that? Indeed,
1: nailed it. Okay, quickly on to Manchester United on the pitch. Drop points to Leeds. I, I I feel for Jesse Marsh in a way because it's like it, it, it's really just you know, like what can you say? The guy's gone, and immediately they go off and and put in that um put in that kind of performance from from that team at Old Trafford. They play without Casemiro. Casemiro who's banned for it says here, choking the opposition. You know, not a thing you're supposed to do. Two hands around the neck. Um, can we can we finally lay the Manchester United in the title race nonsense to rest? Can we finally put this to bed now?
2: <laughs> nah, not yet. We just need to win our no games, Eddie. We need to I'm not there, mate. We, it's all it's all about Brentford. It really is. And Manchester United are looking at us and they're thinking, We've got to play City twice and the gap's not that big. You city beat Arsenal. Twice, and they both dropped. You know, there's going to be some room for them to to get closer to us, and so yes, yeah, City could extend, obviously, but I, I don't see City as the the force that they once were. And I said that before this all blew up. And there's opportunity for us if we can maintain what we're doing. Um, but Manchester United, they suddenly do remember who they are really quickly. You know, they do remember their badge, and as a club, it's almost like playing Liverpool in the Champions League, where, where they are in the league. As a club, they remember they're a good Champions League club, and they turn you over. You know, same with Manchester United; they're a, a league-winning club. And if they are in the race, they could be a danger. So, the fact they're dropping points, I was buzzing with that. You know, absolutely buzzing with it. If we win Saturday, win Wednesday, we're really in a strong position in the next sort of. You know, we have three games. We have got Villa on, on the last game, also Man City in the week, and Brentford on Saturday. If you win those three. Everything's going to have a... It's going to have a different look to it. It really is. And then then I think we can position ourselves. And then we're talking about two, three weeks for Jesus to come back. We're hopefully going to see Smith-Rowe get a bit fitter. We have a bit more time to integrate new signings. We have some midweek games coming up in March. We can we can then see the depth of the squad. So we're repositioning ourselves for the next phase of the season. So... I'm not there to rubbish Man United or anybody yet until we do the job we have got to do in the next seven, eight back. days. <laughs> <laughs> I I want the next three games done and then I might get a bit uh bit more confident, shall we say?
1: Chesty. Yeah. Um I, I think I look at it this way, you know, barring a city points deduction. I can't see a scenario where anybody finishes behind anybody finishes ahead of City other than Arsenal, if you see what I'm saying, right? The reason I'll rubbish United's title challenge is if we don't win it, it's going to be because City win it. And I can't see a scenario where United overcome this gap to City and this gap to Arsenal to finish top. And they don't play us again. So, you know, they don't have that easy ability to have like a six-pointer, right? So they'll... And I'm not saying their fixtures are hard, but like this is the Premier League, right? You just saw it; they just dropped points at home to Leeds, who hadn't won since 1947.
2: So, like, <laughs> and I, you know, they do I, have I think, a lot of fixtures. United, mm-hmm. you know, they got that champ- yep. sorry Europa League game against Barcelona, that two legger that will yep. that will mm-hmm. drain their legs that so we don't have to play. They got a League Cup oh, final. By the way, against- they're very
1: dependent on certain players, right? Like much in the way we felt we were. Rashford feels like a single point of failure to them.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, he scores
1: every single game he plays. That's going to stop eventually, or he'll miss a game somewhere.
2: Exactly. You know? And they've got a league cup final against Newcastle. Newcastle haven't won a trophy since 1969 or something like that. And so they're going to be absolutely massively keyed up for that game. And Manchester United not won a trophy for five, six years, so they're keyed up for the game. So that game actually matters this season. It really matters to both clubs. And and they've got these multiple league games as well. And I, I think they're still in the FA Cup as well. So they've got a lot of football matches to play, and they're playing them with a midfield that hasn't got Casemiro at the moment. But Tomlin's injured, Erickson's injured. They brought in Sabitza, which is a bit of an unknown at the moment for, in this league, and and so there is a there is a heavy reliance on a, on a small group of players that may roll out of form. What Ten Hag seems to have done, he seems to have rejuvenated Rashford although Rashford's rejuvenated himself and fair play to him. I've always liked that player. But Jaden Sanso reappeared on the scene yesterday, a player that needed to get himself right, both mentally and physically. So that would be another interesting one to do. I do like the way he's bringing people on board. And, and putting responsibility onto them to, to improve. So, interesting. We cannot have a
1: Sancho Remontada at, at United. He's, we need him to leave. <laughs> yeah. That's a player <laughs> I rated really highly like, coming out of Germany.
2: Yeah, he needs to work his physical shape. He wasn't sharp enough for the, for the English league, in my opinion. But there are other things I'm not aware of, so I don't want to talk about it too closely because there could be more off the pitch related. But he's got talent. He just needs to be in the right system, yeah. the right game, the right system. He's got feet to die for, he can see the game. I'm not sure if he's a, a winger anymore. Maybe off the left he could be, but he could be a 10 easy and do it and be a very, very good one, you know? So he needs to find the right team for him, the right system. And maybe Ten hour will provide him with that platform. Let's see, right? Is Rachel being out. Let's see what happens with him. So yeah, interesting what they're doing. They're coming, mate. I saw it live myself. I saw it. Mm. I felt it. They're coming. I don't think they're here yet and they're, they're not as balanced as we are. They've got the depth that we've got, and I think we'll be fine. But I don't ignore them.
1: Yeah, we'll see. I still think there's a big clear-out needed there and a big rebuild. I think we caught them in a hot period of how they were playing. I also think stylistically they're a good match for us, um, which can happen. We've seen Spurs be a good match for City. Doesn't mean Spurs are any good. Uh, Can we just say quickly – I'm sure if he's a player you have, you love him, but it feels like bullet dodged with Lissandro Martinez for me. What a filthy player. Like, I just and I I get it, right? If he was wearing an Arsenal shirt, I'd probably feel differently. But if he was wearing an Arsenal shirt, he'd get three reds a game. Like, he's a (laughs) filthy player. He he's out to injure his fellow professionals. You know, he and I get it. Maybe you can love that. Like if he's on your team, you're like, that's the blood and thunder, and the right way the game should be played and take no prisoners. But you gotta admit, the guy is. At least in in a United shirt, he is easy to dislike.
2: (laughs) He's a a good player, I'm afraid. Um, I think he can be got. He can be ran around. I think he can be got at. And what he does to mitigate that is he gets you early. He gets you early. The moment you turn your back on him, he's tight. He's tight. He's all over you. He's kicking through your legs. And um, but once you separate from him and, and you can go at him, he has decisions to make. Right. And so, yeah, let's see. And most of his decisions are going to be physically impinged, right? So he's going to try to get to you before you get into your running speed and power. But he can play, he can play the ball at feet. He understands the game. He's happy with the ball at his feet. And as we know, one of our big improvements has been the first line of our attack, which is our defenders and how they use the ball. And he is far better on the ball than Lindelof shall we say, and Harry Maguire and its improved Manchester United. And that's why for a period they used Luke Shaw in their back line as a centre-back because he can pass it. So you can see the principles they're trying to in implement. They haven't got all the players they want yet. So it would be interesting to watch them.
1: All right, turning our attention to Arsenal in the last 10 minutes of the Arsenal Vision podcast, <laughs> uh, we play Brentford at home. Um, they're very good. Yeah, They're flying, right? They're in a good position in the Premier League right now. Um, you know, 21 games played 33 points plus seven goal difference. They sit seventh, a point off Brighton, but it played a game more. Um, you know, we've beaten them away already, so we, we can feel good about that. We do have city on Wednesday and, and Mikel Arteta's big challenge obviously is going to be keeping attention on this game ahead of that game. I do wonder if you think there'll be some rotation, um, with the game in mind or to keep players motivated, or if it just the nailed on first 11. Um, I have, I have an old hobby horse. We're going to hit one more time before this podcast is over (laughs) related to granite shack. And you're going to enjoy the conversation with me, I'm sure. But yeah, how do you, how do you see us facing this game? What is the best approach to keep the team laser focused on this game? Is it to rotate some players in who don't always get to start? Who will be hungry to prove their place, right? Like, a like a Tressard would be an example, or a, a Vieira, um, a Tomiyasu potentially? Or is the right thing to do to go full strength, take this game, quote-unquote, as seriously as possible and not even have Manchester City in? I mean, obviously you don't want to have Manchester City in mind, but which, which way is better, full strength, so to speak, or players who are hungry?
2: May I'd go full strength. I'd go, I, I want these points. I think it's important to go into a City game with a good, clear mind and what we want to achieve, right? So if we get these points, we we put a bit of pressure onto them. Uh, I think they got Villa on the Sunday. And so if we don't get these points and they can win against Villa and they can close the gap and then suddenly we're potentially in a position where we feel feel mentally concerned, you know? So get the points so we go into a good mental base and that's most important. If they beat us then fair and square, it's not a problem. But if we beat them, at least we know we've done it from a good position that we've earned. right? So, just focus on Brentford. We lost two in a trot. We can't make that three. No chance. We've got to beat them with everything they've got. You think about the two teams that caused us the most problems this year or stopped us scoring, really. That would be Newcastle and Everton. And There are some similarities with Brentford. I may be doing them a disservice, but... They do like to hit sides and hit the channel, hit the forward early if they're they're able to get some form of control. They may go long. Everton went long. They didn't play the ball out from the back, so we couldn't really press them. So we're were having to play from our half. and I felt we played in the areas of the pitch far too long. So, yeah, I think if you're Brentford, you're going to watch that Everton game, you're going to watch Newcastle game, you're going to try to do something. They've got a centre-forward who can can hold the ball. It, It can stick to him. And they've got sprinters off the sides, right? So all it needs is a set piece. And they're in business, aren't they? They're in business to try to work a position in the game. So I think we need to control the game, playing their half massively, move the ball quickly, make them realise that you ain't getting nothing out of us. You know, and um, I think that's key. Quick ball movement. Everything we've got, get the points, then we roll into City in shape. And I think that's what I, that's what I would do, it.
1: Yeah, I think that's sensible. I want to ask you a Granite Shaka question, though. And by the way, we we should mm-hmm. mention right like there's news on Gabriel Jesus. He's sort of back in 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 the world, but like I think we're probably looking at March for that. So we just gotta we gotta stay patient. We gotta stay really patient. I came across a chart. Everybody loves a statistics chart in football. People love statistics when you bring them up. Everybody agrees that they're great, and and everybody sees them the same way. And so it's never divisive. <laughs> um, this chart was. XG per 90, and goals per 90 for midfielders in the Premier League. You'll be unsurprised to learn that way out there, on the upper right corner, with high XG and high goals scored, is Martin Odegaard. In fact, the only one with more goals scored, but not as much XG, is is James Madison. Okay. Um, But, I mean, they have totally separated. The, The next closest is McAllister. And he's, he's way behind that. Buendia shows up pretty well in there. Uh, Gunduan shows up pretty well, reasonably well. Bruno Fernandez is, is all right, not great. But down in the lower left-hand quadrant of almost no XG and almost no goals per 90 is Granit Xhaka.
2: Yeah.
1: And he he's sort of in the Jorginho range. In fact, Jorginho higher on XG. And the Hoiberg range. The reason I bring this up is He's not playing center mid anymore. For him to be in the same range, you know, stat-wise with like a Jorginho last season or the season before the season before, you, you expect that. He is playing left eight. And I sort of put this out on Twitter, and I want to ask it to you. Granit Chaka, one of our players of the season, one of the most important players for us, started brilliantly in that left eight, adding goal threat and assist threat and all of that. And it is beyond question how important he has been this season. I still can't help look at that chart and think, The next little level up for this project is someone in that role with just that little bit more instinct, quickness, feet, dynamism, whatever you want to say, to be in the box, to underlap, to take the shot, to to make the key pass. And I realize we'll lose some things that we get from Shaka in supporting the midfield with that. But I, I want to ask you, when you hear a chart like that where Odegaard's all the way in the upper right corner and Shaka's all the way in the lower left corner, do you think that more balance between those two eights might be... Something that we that we need to create and and will look to create
2: depends how you see the interior of the team, right? So we have a six who's a there's a, there's a single pivot that everything rolls around, comes in, comes out. So he's part of the back five. Now the left eight is more of your connector, is your box to box player on that side. And the way we've the way we've modelled that position to date is we've made him. A someone who can attack and someone who can defend. So Shaka's in our double period. Don't forget we stand in a four four two when we go into a mid block. And he's, if he's a left six, it's not a problem for him. Perfect, right? Mm-hmm. So, so when we think about Vieira, and I do trust me, can we see him as a, a left six and a four four two shape when we're off the ball? Mm-hmm. Not sure yet. When we when we have the ball, we got our three two five or two three five. We can definitely see Vieira in that left position then when we got teams pushed back. He looks really attractive, right? So I think how we develop that position is going to be key. And it depends on maybe your preference on football and your preference on how we manage the interior of the team. Now we are supposedly looking at Declan Rice in the in the summer, right? So just have a Declan Rice discussion right now. So for some people he's a six, for some people he's a box to box eight. I think he's probably both, which means that's the sort of player we should sign. I think as a six, he does a different role to Thomas Pye, much more simplistic, keeps the ball very, very simple. He covers very, very well, good in the air. And he has got a range of paths, but he hasn't got the pretty feet of Thomas Pye. We know that. But as an eight, I think he could be anything in that left eight position. I think his personality, his ability to cover the pitch, to storm into the box, to pass into the box, to create shooting opportunities, I think as, a, as an eight in this Arsenal system, I think he's totally untapped. I really mm-hmm. believe that. I think we could have something quite close to what Bellingham offers Dortmund in that all-action player. And so that's, that could be the development for the role, which maybe appeases people slightly on what getting a little bit more dynamism and, and a bit of quality on the ball. But in in Arsenal's life cycle where they are, Granite Shaka is perfect for us. It's almost mm-hmm. like he joins the old and the new and he and he, he joins the yeah. dressing room. And I and I think there's more to a football club than just looking at the last game and looking at the attributes required for that player and then saying that player's not quite right. And by the way, I've done that in the past many, many times. But then I have to remind myself what it's like when the dressing room door shuts and how this club absolutely operates, how players operate, who runs the dressing room. And trust me, it's not the manager who runs the dressing room. It's four or five players that run the dressing room. And they hold yeah. our dreams, mate. They do. They keep everyone on board. They make sure everyone's in their beds at nighttime. They make sure everyone's preparing right. They make sure they watch them as they're training. They make sure they do their pre-training activation correctly. They're the ones that are, are laying the rules down Making sure they're maintained, and the manager oversees that whole environment through those same set of players. You just hear things sometimes when the manager says, "I very rarely go in the dressing room," and we probably think he's in the dressing room all the time at training. The players run the dressing room. So how is that mm-hmm. done? You know, and it's done by players like Granite Shaka, and I think as fans we have to recognise that not everything is a match day; it's a place of work, and and that's where Shaka is is unique, and and I think he's so. Re- so required at this stage of the project. So I'm with you, Elliot. I've been trying to retire him for two years from a footballistic point of view, but from a human point of view, he's almost irreplaceable in the current group we have right now.
1: It's well said, and it's an interesting point because you know what? When we lost Jesus, we got younger, we got less experience, right? There's a guy who had won it all. Well, not won it all, but, you know, won the Premier League. He was in his prime, right? He's a Brazil international. He's out of the group. and, And when you're injured like that, you're not in the dressing room every day. You're not with the group. So he's gone. Mohamed Elneny, we don't see him much on the pitch, but I bet you see him a lot in the group, on the gr- training ground, in the, yep. in the dressing room. He's gone. So you take the youngest squad in the league trying to win a title, and you take out two critical elder statesmen out of the group, so Granit Xhaka only becomes more important. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we've gotten younger. And by the way, I will say this. We focus a lot on how Jesus' absence has impacted Martinelli Maybe it's impacted Shaka too, that left hand side, you know, where, where Jesus drifted over a little more than Enkedia. So we'll see. Quickly, prediction for Saturday. You expect a big response?
2: I hope so, because I'm going to be there and I really want a big response. <laughs> I've got a big Saturday nights depending on this. I think we have to, and I think we will. And I think everyone knows in the ground, this is really important. If something does go wrong, I mean, we need to stay with them, you know, um, even during the game, because the nerves may overcome us a little bit. But I don't think so. I think we're going to be sharp, and so I expect us to be sharp and play well, and hopefully get the points. And if we do, I'll be I'll be so excited to see what happens against City. Um, I think if we win on Saturday, I, I, I'm quite positive we're going to have a good week.
1: If you've never uh, listened to Clive sending instant reaction messages drunk from the Emirates. Uh, you're going to be getting them this Saturday, and that's reason enough to sign up. I think we're going to win big. I, I really trust this group. I think we're going to react, and I'm very, very excited to see it. We'll leave it there because I got a three year old trying to break into my recording environment right now. Uh, <clears throat> plus, I got norovirus calling. Not that anyone wants to know that. Clive's on Twitter at ClivePFC. Thank you, Clive. Thank you very much. My name is Ellie Smith, the Black Man Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Really, really big couple of days ahead for the club, for everybody. We'll have a lot of stuff covering it. We love you so much for being here. Thank you so much. We love you, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Brentford, no we yeah. yeah.